4: That's BetterHELP.com.
0: This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. Sophie Gilbert is a wildlife ecologist. In her career, she's studied how animals respond to environmental changes, like how deer in the Pacific Northwest respond to clear-cutting. A little over a year ago, she was offered tenure at the University of Idaho. And in academia, that's a big deal. Tenure
5: is basically the freedom to do and say what you want within some boundaries of scientific acceptability. It's kind of what
0: people call academic freedom. But even as she was being handed a big promotion, academic freedom, and basically job security for life, Sophie had doubts.
5: Yeah, I think my skepticism about whether or not my work really mattered had been growing for a few years.
0: It came to a head last summer. She got tenure, she also had a baby. Meanwhile, the Pacific Northwest was experiencing something known as a heat dome. Record-breaking temperatures that literally cooked shellfish in their tidal pools. And California was on fire.
5: And during that, I was doing this kind of apocalyptic drive. Uh, My husband and I and our kid trying to visit my family in Northern California. So, driving like right through the heart of this heat dome.
0: <laughs> Portland yesterday was 116 degrees. Trying to stay cool. Shattered its all time record. Trying to stay hydrated.
5: Extreme and exceptional drought. Driving past pillars of wildfire smoke already.
6: Leading to a much earlier onset of dangerous fire conditions.
2: 8 degrees or
5: so. And it just, it really felt like a. Like, we are driving through a, a preview of the future in some way. It was really viscerally, like, gut-level distressing and scary. Kind of led me to one of those moments, you know, where you sit down with yourself and realize that something has to change. You're at the point where where things can't actually stay the same. So, I tweeted this on April 10th, and I said, I have some big news to share. I've decided to leave academia in order to work more directly on fixing climate change. Despite receiving tenure last month, I felt increasingly compelled over the last year to make a major change in how I spend the remainder.
0: Sophie's not alone. She's just one of millions of people who have quit their jobs or even changed careers during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is a moment when basic ideas of how or why or in what conditions we work have changed. People who once thought they had a clear trajectory to their lives have found themselves derailed asking existential questions like, why do I do this job or is it worth it? At one point, the quit rate in the U.S. reached a 20-year high. That's according to Pew Research. It was a moment known as the Great Resignation. But what sets Sophie apart is that she quit in large part because of climate change, something that hits close to home for this very podcast. I will say I was like asking myself like,
1: like, OK, I like this job. I could do this job for 25 years and, and
0: probably be happy the whole time. Is that what I want to do? If you've been listening for a while, you'll recognize this voice as that of Sam Evans Brown, former host of Outside In. Sam left his job, this job, in environmental journalism, in part because he wasn't sure that it mattered anymore. There's a lot that
1: I deeply, deeply believe in that is like part of the mission of journalism. And then there's a lot that I like, am
0: incredibly skeptical of. Instead of talking about the energy transition, he wanted to go do it. From climate journalism to climate
1: action. The transition to clean energy is one that the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, obviously.
0: All right, sure. Some people leave their jobs or change careers. It's part of life. But today on Outside In, producer Justine Paradise is wondering... Is something unusual happening with climate reporters?
7: Yeah, there seems to be a churn happening.
2: I was getting bummed out because there's only so much time and energy that you can spend chronicling the harm that's happening to the planet
3: without feeling something.
0: In these years when the stakes are so high, are the reporters who cover the climate crisis leaving journalism to go help solve it?
3: It's hard when you know so much about an issue and how big the crisis is to stay on the sidelines at some point.
1: Does climate journalism even matter? People are using us to push, and and we're not in the driver's seat.
0: Here's producer Justine Paradise.
6: Posterity. Can you please state for the record the date, the time and the location of this conversation?
1: (laughs) Uh, I believe it's the it's June. It's one week before June 25th, which would make it June 18th.
6: And we are at New Hampshire Public Radio. Um, This is like a deposition. You're giving (laughs) testimony here. (laughs) I spoke with Sam last year in 2021, a week before his last day on Outside In. The day he was going to leave journalism after almost ten years in the industry, and at first it wasn't easy for him to say exactly why. Because it's a great job.
1: I mean, it's a, like I'm not leaving Outside In because I'm 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 sick of my job, right? I'm leaving Outside In because of like we could sort of. <laughs> I was thinking about this though, like like Justine's going to ask me this question: Why am I leaving the job? And and I was just like running through answers in my brain, and I was like, like I could say any of these.
6: Here's a person who had it pretty good. Sam was the host of a show. He was making decent money, decent money for public radio. And he had a lot of freedom to make long-form documentaries about really interesting topics that are also pretty high stakes. Climate change and the energy transition. I mean, he left right in the middle of releasing a series on American offshore wind, essentially a new clean energy industry. But
1: I am, am like a little bit heartbroken to be leaving journalism. I love journalism, but have gotten to a point with it where I don't fully believe in journalism.
6: So how did he get to this point? Before Outside In, Sam spent years in the public radio newsroom reporting on the environment, which is a pretty wide-ranging beat. He reported on wildlife, like bald eagles and rabbits, cod. He reported on the grid, sustainability stuff like backyard composting and chicken regulations, and a lot of climate change. Warming oceans, extreme weather, acid rain, wildfires it was rewarding, but with an important caveat, the standard length for a public radio news story is four minutes, and just in case you wondered, that's not a lot of time.
1: It's an impossible job. like the job is literally impossible to try to describe the world in four minutes or less and and I would like do the best I could. Um, But you you never get it right. And the like stock line that I came up with is like four minutes is just enough time to piss everybody off.
6: Sam's stories aired nationally on NPR. He won awards and he pushed for longer stories, sometimes with multiple parts. But behind the scenes,
1: I would just like dread publishing stories because I would know that I was going to get these like haranguing emails from these people who mostly were representing political parties or. Uh, you know, moneyed interests and like the aggressiveness with which they like pursue reporters was something I like wasn't quite prepared for. I, I got a mouth guard around this time because I was like grinding my teeth so hard.
6: One of the most important ideas in journalism is that of objectivity. Like a lot of journalists, Sam didn't really believe that you can totally separate your work from your biases or identity but he did believe in approaching a story with an open mind almost scientifically
1: generally like the way i see it is to deeply engage with the people you aren't you don't have the tendency to agree with because i find in for me personally when i do this i often do find there are things that they're right about and that for me has been like a really valuable thing to practice
6: Sam had been on the job about a year or so when a number of wind farms were proposed in a rural part of New Hampshire. And with them, a huge anti-wind backlash emerged.
1: And I just remember uh, going out to these sort of like town hall meetings where people were talking about wind power. And I was just like, wow, there is so much misinformation being repeated. And it's just like, we just need to get these people the facts. And, And so it's like, okay, so people are saying that the sound is a problem. What do the studies say? all the way to the bottom, like find every study um, and you put it in, <laughs> in the story and like the people who don't like the conclusions of what the science is saying um, are just like extra mad at you. And, and and then I became like a part of the pro wind lobby in their mind. Um, and even though the fact I was like, I was like engaging deeply with what they were saying, um, it didn't matter. Like they, I became against them. The point is that that, like you are I wasn't changing anyone's mind. These folks who were anti-wind activists were anti-wind activists for for reasons that had nothing to do with um, the amount of information that was available in the world
6: so this journalism thing, what was it even doing? was getting more information out into the world even working and what would working even look like? For Sam, at least in this particular form, he wasn't sure if his stories really had an impact.
1: What I think journalism does not do is shift the discourse dramatically because I think mostly we're reproducing the discourse. and and so we're not changing the values of society mostly, um, at least not in a, you know, not in the way we hope to. Welcome to Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans Brown. A few years into this career,
6: the station launched this very podcast, Outside In, and Sam was host, which meant longer stories and more time to report them and room to experiment with tone and sound and style. But these doubts continued to make themselves known, and one time in front of an audience, Sam was invited to be part of a panel at McGill University in Montreal.
1: The panel was a reporter for Vice News stationed in Montreal, um, a freelance reporter who mostly wrote in The Guardian, and then me. And I don't remember the question that prompted it, but, but it was something along those lines of, like, of like does journalism change the world? And, and the, the gentleman who wrote mostly for The Guardian was like, journalism does not change the world. Social movements change the world. And I use journalism to give cover for social movements. And if the editors of the Guar- at The Guardian ever realize this, they will fire me. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa. And, and at the time, it was, it was very challenging for me at the time because I like, you know, um, I never really thought that much about like, like what is my theory of change. Right? I was just like, I'm doing this journalism thing. I'm trying to do it as, as well as I can. And it was the first time where I was just like, oh, like, like who is at the wheel right, of society?
6: Things really started to turn during the pandemic. Sam wasn't able to do some of his favorite parts of the job, like recording in person in the field. Other members of the team were burnt out, and the future of the show felt kind of unclear. But beyond that... Sam was continuing to ask himself a basic question. It's a climate crisis. Is this type of journalism even helping? You said something to me. um, You said, sometimes I worry that what we're doing is um, just entertainment, or mostly entertainment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I worry about that a lot. Which is not to say people don't need entertainment. Um, But there's a lot of entertainment out there. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I don't think it's just entertainment. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I think that like people do listen to our stories and, and my hope is that they like, I hope that they come away with a deeper understanding of the world that is, that is closer to, to how the world is. Um, but then what do you do? What do they do with that?
6: And then what happened was a different job popped up on Sam's radar. It was local. The compensation was a little better. It was a job at Clean Energy New Hampshire, which is a nonprofit state advocacy group which would have him pushing for important aspects of the energy transition off fossil fuels. This is something Sam had been reporting on for years, but as a journalist obligated to avoid even the appearance of bias, he'd never really been allowed to say what he really thought about that, to say this.
1: The energy transition, like there there will be losers, right? But the benefits are so manifest that it just seems like we're insane to have taken so long to get there. And that's a thing that I've, that I've just, like, come to believe really strongly. And so when this job came up, it was like, A, like, I can do that job. Like, B, for our family's needs, it's here. We don't have to go anywhere. But then C, it's like, I... Will be able to work on something that i that I essentially fully believe in
6: Thank you for talking to me. No
5: problem
6: um can I give you a hug? yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nate, come back. Hey.
0: <clears throat> Let me try that hey again because it was a <laughs> Hey. There's <laughs> a little, little husky there. A little allergy-ish right there.
6: You know, you've been listening for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hello. Um So I'm curious about your perspective on this because Sam was the host of Outside In. Yes. Which is now your job. Mm-hmm. How does it feel for you hearing someone say all this about your job and not even in the proverbial sense, but like literally precisely your job?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I disagree with a lot of what Sam said, to be honest with you. Yeah. Tell me about it. I think <sighs> there was moments when I was listening to that that I was like, I just wanted to hop in and be like, oh, my first reaction was when he was like, Getting all these emails from these industry groups being like, you got this wrong, you got that wrong. I first thought, it, it happens to every young reporter, it happened to me. And I remember being really like shaken up by it when it first happened. I was also lucky enough to have a really good news director and an editor who would be like, listen, this happens all the time. You're not wrong. Like, that's just what's going to happen. You're going to get flack. I am like a strong believer in four-minute news stories and even 90-second news stories because not everybody has 30 minutes to hear about every single topic. Like, I think sometimes it's good just to let people know, hey, this thing's going on. I also think that it depends on how you approach journalism as well. Like, If you're approaching journalism with this single-minded focus, I want to change things, then it's never going to be satisfying to you because things are probably not going to change, or at least you don't have a lot of control over that change. Like I've always approached my job as a journalist as I'm a storyteller, and I'm essentially writing. I know this is cheesy. I know you hear it in J schools all the time, but like you are writing like a first draft of history. When I was deep in the re- reporting on the COVID nineteen pandemic, I'm reporting out in the Mountain West, which is a place that you have, unvaccination rates were really high. Rampant Mm -hmm. misinformation and disinformation, and it was the closest I got to burnout probably, Um, was reporting day in, day out to people like, hey, the hospitals are completely full and people are dying because they're not vaccinated. But yet there's still protests. There's still people denying the fact that folks are dying from COVID-19. And I remember just getting so frustrated with it. Like, I was just like, nothing is is changing. And I was like, that's not my job. My job is not to convince hearts and minds right now. My job at this point is to document And witness what's happening in the Mountain West when it comes to the pandemic. Like, that's all I can do. And that gave me, like, a feeling of, like, at least, like, dull satisfaction with with (laughs) the situation that I was in. And I was like, I'm not going to change anything, and that's okay, because sometimes we don't change things.
6: Yeah, I I actually don't think that Sam would disagree with a lot of what you're saying. I just think he came to a different conclusion And he didn't take the new job just because he had doubts about journalism. I just, I think he was psyched to try something new.
0: I think that's what it is. It's about meaning. Like, if you can come to your job every day and say, you know, this job brings me meaning. And if you f- lose that feeling of, like, purpose, then it's a real fast track to burning out on a job. And I think we all hit it in different ways. Sam uh, Evans. Whoppy.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, the committee. I'm happy to be very brief. Uh, Clean Energy New Hampshire, Sam Evans-Brown. We also oppose this bill. NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, suggests that by 2030, solar panels could be as much as 1% of the nation's e-waste.
0: I've had a lot of colleagues who have... Experienced what Sam experienced and have gone to advocacy. And I'm just like curious. I am curious. Like, is this just something that I'm hearing about, that you're hearing about, that is like kind of anecdotal? Like, hey, everyone's leaving as
7: part of the great resignation, or is there like something there?
6: Right. So I tried to get a sense of that.
7: Yeah, there's definitely an element of just being burnt out by journalism. (laughs) Modern journalism is really hard.
6: But first, it's time for a break.
7: Yep.
8: Outside in, we'll be right back. There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Want to connect with a family member who
4: doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process.
6: Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
0: Okay, I'm Nate Hedgie here with Justine Paradise.
6: And we're back with the question, are people really leaving climate journalism right now?
7: Yeah, there seems to be a churn happening. I'm seeing some people who are burnt out and then some people who are moving into the solutions side of things.
6: This is Stephen Lacey. Stephen's been reporting on climate solutions and green tech for the past 16 years. You might know him from the show The Energy Gang, and now he runs a podcast company called Postscript Media. And Stephen said, off the top of his head, he could think of eight or nine people who've left climate journalism over the
7: years. What I can't figure out is if this is just what happens in the world of journalism. Some people go into industry, some people go into advocacy, some people go through the revolving door it happens in journalism and other spaces but it's definitely happening at an accelerating rate right now in the climate space
6: so we're at least not the only people observing this and to my eye there's a couple reasons why people are leaving one Being a climate journalist almost trains you to be in climate solutions. Mm -hmm. I spoke with one journalist who left his job as senior writer with Grist after about 20 years in journalism, and he became an electrician, (laughs) partly because he says electrification is part of the energy transition, but also partly because I think he just wants to work with his hands instead of being in front of a computer reporting kind of the same bad news he's been reporting for decades.
0: I get that. I totally get that.
6: And I also spoke with one of those former journalists that Stephen mentioned, her name's Julia Piper.
3: Journalism was so like deeply embedded in like, who I was, and I was a chair at the National Press Club when I lived in Washington D.C. And I really thought that's how I wanted to define my life. Julia dreamed of covering climate
6: for a big audience at a place like the New York Times, but around 2019, she instead transitioned into advocacy, and now she's a VP at a clean tech financing company
3: called GoodLeap. It's hard when you know so much about an issue and how big the crisis is to stay on the sidelines at some point at least that's how I felt that's what tipped me over the edge of giving up my childhood dream and long time goal of you know working at the New York Times to say okay I can live with the fact that I will spend several more decades of my life hopefully you know working on the solutions themselves and the dream is going to evolve now because I see just how critical this issue is.
6: A second reason people are leaving climate journalism is that it's just hard to be a journalist on pretty much any beat. Mm -hmm. And each beat is hard for its own specific reasons. Here's Stephen Lacey again.
7: Yeah, Uh, the, the newsroom is just a tough place to be right now for everyone. And when you pile on this historic story that feels unstoppable, and like not enough people are paying attention, that is a recipe for severe burnout and a need for a change of pace.
6: So I also put the question to Megan Parker. She's the executive director of the Society of Environmental Journalists, or SEJ. Are we observing more people leaving climate journalism to go into climate action? She says the environment beat is notoriously unstable. Mm -hmm. As in when budgets take a hit, especially in local newsrooms, it's historically one of the first
4: beats to get axed
6: especially following the 2008 recession.
4: It was not seen as a core issue. You know, it was not seen as core news. Editors coming out of the politics desk, it's not politics. You know, I firmly believe it's politics. They didn't see it as politics. Um, So you had things like, you know, the entirety of CNN's science and environment team was let go. Wow, I didn't
0: know that.
6: Yeah. And it's also easy to argue that media has been complicit in the lack of meaningful climate action for decades.
0: I I always I always bristle at the term media. (laughs) It's (laughs) it's such a varied landscape. It's like you can like Grist hasn't exactly been ignoring, you know, uh, climate uh, for the past 10 years or high country news or those other ones. But yeah,
6: but but U.S. cable TV news is a different story. Because their climate for years has been presented with a lot of both sides-ism.
0: Right. Yeah. Like the coverage that gives space to climate deniers, you know, in order to perform objectivity or to show that you're like politically balanced.
6: And even today, climate doesn't get much airtime on cable news.
3: Here's Julia Piper again. That's a place where I think the climate coverage has not fully broken through. I would have loved to work in TV. I started my career interning at 60 Minutes. That was the dream. But one funny little stat around that is that Jeff Bezos got more coverage on morning shows the day he went to space as climate change got in all of 2020.
6: The reason all this is important is because it affects not only the number of jobs that have existed, but also their prestige within the newsrooms. Like politics have more prestige than climate. Mm-hmm. So if you have ambitions, if you want your work to have impact or depth, if you want to be rewarded or even just well compensated for that work, the landscape of the industry might feel pretty discouraging. There are signs that newsrooms are starting to catch up. Maybe because the consequences of climate change are actually around us now.
0: Yeah, yeah. like the West is literally on fire and dealing with record floods again right now.
6: That is such an evergreen comment. But yeah, climate change is not a future thing anymore. We're living through it. And so even though it's still only made up just about one percent of airtime, climate coverage on cable TV tripled from 2020 to 2021.
4: And then on top of all of this, very, very recently, you see some at the National Prestige Publications, a, a big jump in hiring. AP is hiring like 20, something like 20 climate reporters right now. Uh, the New York Times, of course, you know, has a, probably the biggest you know, climate desk they've ever had. Washington Post has been staffing up quite a bit. And Megan said that the crowd at this year's
6: SEJ conference was more diverse than ever in terms of gender and race it represents
4: a huge influx of new, um, early career, younger journalists coming into the field and and really motivated to cover climate and environment.
6: So what is it we're witnessing? I can't say that there's some major exodus of climate reporters. Mm -hmm. It actually seems like the overall number is probably
4: growing, at least on a national level. But When you talk about people leaving the field, you're talking about people sort of later uh, in sort of that mid-career stage. And I think that's where we have a real problem.
6: Because when you lose mid-career journalists, what you're losing is experience. Remember the haranguing emails that had Sam grinding his teeth at night? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just the mouth guard that helped.
1: What's happening is they know that you're like a 20-something-year-old kid who's been given this, like, tool that is is of outsized power to your, the amount of knowledge that you have about the subject and that you are pressurable that like rather than like grind your teeth into dust, you will stop writing things that they don't want you to write. Mm. And the, like the tool that you have as a reporter against that is confidence that you're right. The more you learn, the more you start to realize that like, I do know what's going on. It and takes
6: so long.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it's it's like part of the reason why journalism is an impossible task because newsrooms are cash strapped and you, you like we're just sending these kids into the world to like cover what's happening.
6: All right. We've heard from people who left journalism, but I also spoke with someone who chose to stay. That's after the break.
0: And as you've been hearing, the funding of journalism is no simple matter. But one thing I really do love about the public radio model is that it honestly really does rely on listener support. So if you are inspired, you can contribute on our website. Go to outsideinradio.org donate. And thank you. All right, we'll be back in a minute.
8: Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard... I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe, and basically it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever You get your podcasts.
0: This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie.
2: And I'm Justine Paradise.
0: And this is Kendra.
2: My name is Kendra pierre Lewis, and I'm a senior reporter for the Gimlet Spotify podcast, How to Save a Planet. We've had Kendra on the show before and featured
6: episodes of the show she works on, How to Save a Planet, which we'll get to in a second. But before the job she has now, Kendra was a reporter at the New York Times Climate Desk. So she was working at what's considered a very elite publication, the paper of record. Why did you end up leaving the New York Times? Um,
2: I was really unhappy. Uh, <laughs> that's why. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I left the Times, I was very much like, maybe I'll go work at McDonald's. Like, I was done. Um, And no disrespect to people who work at McDonald's. I was just very... <laughs> kind of like you were done with journalism. <laughs> I was done with journalism.
6: Part of Kendra's unhappiness at the New York Times had to do
2: with the way she was covering climate change. So much of the work that I was doing before was sort of articulating the problem and kind of pummeling people with facts, um, but very little about what they could do about those facts. And so I think. I was getting bummed out because there's only so much time and energy that you can spend chronicling kind of the harm that's happening to the planet without feeling something. But also, I just didn't feel it was fully useful to readers Um, because what we know needs to happen for climate change is we need broad systemic change. And that means everyone needs to be a part of that broad systemic change. But telling you that the moose are dying because of climate change doesn't really give you an entry point into fixing the problem. Right.
6: You're just hearing about this
2: really, really sad thing. Yeah, and I think even the people who know climate is a problem and really want to be engaged with it, they don't want to read a climate story because they know that they're sort of setting themselves up to be bummed out. Another reason
6: Kendra wasn't happy had to do with what the workplace was like for her, what it felt like to work there. And
2: actually, maybe those
6: two things aren't unconnected
2: you know i'm a black woman and i joined um the times right after a mass exodus of journalists of color and i left right before another mass exodus so there are like huge structural issues with the institution and i think that trickles down to how they choose to cover climate oh yeah how so um this is like tiny but in i was there at the times for a little over two and a half years. And in that time, I was only able to do two stories that touched on eco justice, for example, because climate was considered an activist issue and race is considered an activist issue. And so in combining them are two activist issues. And you're just sort of like, but it's reality. Like, I don't <laughs> like I don't understand.
0: Huh. Like. My reaction is I'm really happy I don't work at the New York times. (laughs) 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 I've heard this, I've heard this complaint from a lot of, uh, colleagues of mine who have been journalists of color though at public radio stations I've been at as well, you know, like,
6: yeah, it's not unique to the New York times. You're right. I think it's a problem in public radio and journalism in general, Mm -hmm. but a big question I want to talk about here is when it comes to climate, what is the line between journalism and advocacy?
7: Um,
0: So example comes to mind, Wyoming and its energy transition. Right now, Wyoming is is super reliant on oil and gas and there's Mm -hmm. a push to build more wind farms there. You know, if you were to look at that, the wind farms that were being built there is completely uncritical. Hey, this is a great thing. This is a great thing for climate. This is a great thing for for everything. We need to be, you know, wean ourselves off of of fossil fuels, without looking at the downsides of that, I think that's advocacy. You have to look at how people's lives are going to be affected by this change, by by this transition. If you can look at like a transition like that from from all the different perspectives that's journalism but if you're just looking at it as like this is the one solution there's no downsides that's that's advocacy
6: but some of those perspectives are essentially informed by misinformation which is spread by fossil fuel companies right right and yeah. those companies are willingly inserting falsehoods into that debate so should we include those perspectives at all
0: that's where it's that's where it gets it gets complicated like in the past if i had a quote from a from a fossil fuel spokesperson i would and it had falsities in it i would include the quote and then afterwards you know point out that hey this is what they just said is not true but is that like it should but
6: is that elevating it though like is that should you do that like when, when you're facing a problem as big as this should the identity of what journalism is change
0: should the rules of journalism change
6: should the rules change yes
2: and that's what kendra thinks I think that the kind of journalism that is dominant now is ineffective and not up to the task of the social threats and the social changes that we need to usher in. And I think too much gets hidden behind this idea of um, unbiased. I have a pro-Earth bias. I joke all the time. Like, You should, right? (laughs) Like, like we are are dependent on this planet for existence. And it is bizarre to me that climate is in many ways seen as an activist issue, that we feel like you can't do a certain thing without inserting what are clear fossil fuel company talking points. So
6: eventually, Kendra left The Times, and she got recruited and joined How to Save a Planet. So instead of leaving journalism, she left a certain kind of journalism— and pivoted quite intentionally to a new approach, an approach aptly named Solutions Journalism.
2: One of the things that I think that we do really well on how to save a planet is help people understand the pinch points in society, the pinch points towards the climate transition, where they can engage in, like finding those places where people don't know, like, oh, this is an entry point. Oh, this is an entry point. So in a lot of ways, you know, I say it's solutions journalism in the sense because we're focused on climate solutions. But I also think of it as sort of like civics journalism, you know, like this is how the world works. Right. Like you can't go out and, and
6: nurse the moose back to health, but maybe there's something else you can do.
2: Yeah. or And not and, and just there's something else you can do, but and here are people doing it.
6: Here are people doing it, things like creating funding models to renovate leaky, inefficient buildings at scale, combining solar arrays with grazing
2: livestock, reforesting the ocean floor with kelp. It's changed the way I approach the framing. It's changed the way — it changed what I look for. It changed the way — everything. It, who I talk to is different now, um, yeah, everything.
6: And remember how Sam dreaded all of those emails he'd get from industry reps after he published stories? Well, that's changed for Kendra, too. The audience response to her stories are totally different than before.
2: A lot more, thank you. (laughs) A lot more, uh, you know, we get mails from listeners that tell us that, like, they now know what they're going to study in college. We get mails from listeners telling us how they pivoted their careers, how they've pushed for legislative changes, or how they've successfully opposed... Fossil fuel expansion in their communities, things like that.
6: This was game changing for Kendra. But to be clear, I am not saying that solutions journalism is the solution for everybody. We do still need reporters covering climate impacts like wildfires, heat waves, and storms. But this was a way for Kendra to remain in journalism. And for me, Solutions Journalism does help me to consider the question that we're wrestling with here. It's a climate emergency. Is journalism up to the task? And does it matter?
0: All right, so we have to like, all great stories have to come to an end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How do we end this, Justine? How does this story end?
6: The ending. So Taylor and I talked a bunch about this, and I was like, keep like resisting doing my own story for it because mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, like everyone feels this way. Like this isn't really about me. Um, but
0: I'm interested. I want to know because I feel like this is like a journey for you as a storyteller because it's it's very much a story that looks inward like how did you feel like where do you land with journalism right now Uh. (laughs) that's a
7: great sound
6: (laughs) Uh, i guess i'll just tell you why i started this story a little bit And, and one was i mean i started this a year ago when i just had the impulse to interview sam about this yeah um because I do fear that we're just making entertainment for people who, in essence, agree. And I want to feel I can have impact when it comes to climate beyond, you know, biking to work beyond my personal life. Because that's what's necessary, right? Systems. But as journalists, there's certain stuff we can't do. We can't run for office. I can't run for president you know um often can't sign petitions um in certain contexts can't go to protests Mm. that kind of thing so if our journalism if my journalism is just entertainment that doesn't feel good to me Mm. and this was all kind of running through my head at the same time that i was seeing some pretty bad headlines about antarctic ice sheets thinking about the place i grew up which is an island like how much longer will that even exist and and the wheat crisis, and a lot of things were just coming up for me in this moment of real high anxiety. And, and I ended up seeking out a podcast about climate. It's called Warm Regards, and it was an episode with one of the authors of the latest IPCC report from the UN. And he was just so much more optimistic than I am mm-hmm. right now, yeah. where I was in the, that moment. Like, he wasn't Pollyanna, he wasn't being naive, but he made this argument that, like, look— Three degrees is exponentially worse than 2.5 degrees Mm -hmm. of warming over (laughs) pre-industrial levels. 2.5 is way worse than 1.5. And so there's literally no moment in which climate action doesn't make sense. It always makes sense. And it got me thinking about how those horrifying headlines just had me in this position of like, oh, it's over. Like, it's too late Mm -hmm. and it's not over. And that's an impartial truth. Also. Right. right? right. So those headlines did one thing of of like make like, I don't know, making me feel. But I I felt this thing that isn't isn't true. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting because the longer piece was, you know, pretty nitty gritty. And that speaks to the four minute piece or the headline versus do you have an hour to to spend?
0: Right. Yeah. Because you heard the thing that brought you up was was a podcast.
6: Yeah. Was a piece of climate journalism. So. um my answer is it's complicated as
0: usual (laughs) as usual (laughs) isn't
3: it all complicated Yeah. yeah
0: this episode was produced reported and mixed by justine paradise special thanks to nate johnson and to peter howe he is one of the authors of the yale climate opinion maps which tracks attitudes and beliefs about climate change in the united states That survey found that even though most Americans believe global warming is happening, only a third talk about climate change, at least occasionally, with friends and family.
8: That's the first thing that I recommend people do is try to talk about it more and to talk about it in the context of of what they value.
0: So let's talk about it. Has a piece of journalism about the climate ever tangibly impacted your life? Have you made changes in your community based on someone's reporting? We want to know what you think. And not for nothing, you should probably tell that journalist too. It tends to mean a lot. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us and with other listeners, but a great one is tweeting at us. We are at OutsideInRadio. And we often share your responses in our newsletter, which is free. You can sign up to get it every two weeks at OutsideInRadio.org. This episode was edited by Taylor Quimby with help from me, Nate Hedgie, Rebecca Lavoie, Felix Poon, and Jessica Hunt. Music in this episode by Sarah the Instrumentalist, Daniel Fridell, Bagel, Flyin', Smartface, Silver Maple, By Lotus, 91 Nova, Moon Craters, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is listener-supported. If you're able to donate, it means a lot. The link is in our show notes, or you can head to outsideinradio.org donate. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
8: There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get
4: your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind.